Okay, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Acts chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 1 as we start this new series called Unhindered in the book of Acts. Unhindered. This week, our plan was to return to in-person, indoor worship, and that plan screeched to a halt, or at least a delay, as the rise of COVID-19 cases across our county threw everything that we'd been planning into question. This wasn't the first time that's happened, and it won't be the last time it happens. It won't be the last time that plans will change, that we will be invited to readjust to settle in and wait. This is getting uncomfortable. It is getting tiring. It is getting confusing. You hear one thing from the news, and then a friend lets you know that they've heard from a friend that they trust that the news is wrong, and suspicion toward the government grows every day. It's reached a high point for others, as the governor of California has now ordered houses of worship to cease from singing. And so here we are in our homes, staring at the television yet again, with an, and, and, and with an ever-increasing urgency, we are being forced to ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, does is, what, what, what is the church? What does it mean to be the church? These questions were easy to answer in March. To be a Christian meant that I go to church on Sundays. Uh, what is the church? It's this place that I go to. What does it mean to be the church? It means to be a part of a spiritual family, and I, I see them regularly. But now we are huddled in our homes. We, we are distanced from one another. And all of our answers to these key questions, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the church? What does it mean to be the church? All of those questions and all of those answers are being redefined in this season. And so there is no better time to journey through the book of Acts, a book that begins with the Jesus people huddled in a room, hiding and fearing for their lives, a book that ends with the Apostle Paul in Rome, under the nose of Caesar, in the heart of the empire, proclaiming the gospel with Acts 28 verses 30 and 31 say, all openness unhindered. The book of Acts tells the story of how God took a small ragtag bunch of men and women and turned them into a movement that turned the world upside down. This morning as we turn to the pages of the book of Acts, we find that despite how it seems to us, as we look around the world, that despite how it seems to us, Jesus isn't done. In fact, it's only the beginning. Today we're going to explore the first five verses of the first book of Acts, the prologue. And I want to help us get a sense of how the book is structured and some key themes that we will be seeing because we're going to be camping out in this text for a while. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. 
During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Verse 5, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, the book of Acts is the second of two volumes written by Luke a follower of Jesus, a medical doctor, a traveling companion, and co-laborer with the Apostle Paul. Luke's first volume, the Gospel of Luke, is addressed to the most excellent Theophilus, and Acts is addressed to this same person. In the Greco-Roman world, when Luke lived, it was not uncommon for someone of Luke's position to have a patron, to be on the payroll of a wealthy, middle-class aristocrat. This is probably who Theophilus was. Theophilus is a middle-class Roman citizen of that intellectual kind of elite group that would have a retinue of people he paid not only to increase his station, but to kind of do good in his society. And it is likely that Luke is addressing these these books, the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, to Theophilus to help Theophilus grow spiritually and come to understand uh, the, the way of Jesus and this movement called Christianity. But he's also hoping that Theophilus can kind of bring others in his socioeconomic class into a more favorable posture and estimation of Christianity. He wants these other Romans, these wealthy middle-class Romans, to kind of have a better sentiment toward the early Christian church. Luke wrote the book of Acts sometime around A.D. 70, 10 years after the the book of Acts closes. Uh, Acts is the longest New Testament book. It is a work of that we would call epic narrative. It is not purely history because characters flit in and out of the narrative at, almost on a whim, but its action-packed pages span some almost 30 years of history telling how the gospel first preached by Jesus is preached throughout the world by men and women that Jesus chooses as his representatives. One of the things that we tend to forget when we're reading the Bible is that the authors who wrote it sat down with an express purpose in mind. And knowing that that purpose, getting at the heart of the book, helps us get a sense of what's happening as we read and study it. And so here's what I would say the purpose of the book of Acts is. The purpose of the book of Acts is to demonstrate how the reign of King Jesus is extended through the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel, and how that gospel will not be limited by ethnic or political lines The movement of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will be unhindered as it expands the kingdom of God to all the corners of the earth when each disciple takes up his or her call to follow Jesus. That's a long sentence. It's 
there on the screen for you, but I, I know it's kind of taking a second to soak in. Throughout the text, there are some themes that are on repeat, four of them that I want you to know about. And, and the first theme is simply this, the Holy Spirit. Acts contains a quarter, 25% of the New Testament's references to God the Holy Spirit. No other New Testament book contains even half as many references to the Spirit as does Acts, which is why St. John Chrysostom said that the book is properly called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And while many Christians tend to ignore the Holy Spirit or maybe even fear the Holy Spirit, this is not a category that the first Christians would have because for them, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that the early church grew despite remarkable opposition. So the first theme is the Holy Spirit. The the second theme is that the gospel is to be proclaimed and demonstrated. In Acts, the gospel, the good news that Jesus is king, that God is bringing the world to the end that he intends, and that Jesus is this Lord and Messiah appointed by God for the salvation of humanity, that gospel is something that is brought forth in word and deed. And those deeds often include the miraculous healing, uh, casting out demons, and more. There are a number of sermons recorded in the book of Acts and a number of miracles, and preaching the good news of the risen Jesus is often accompanied by signs and wonders. That's the second theme. First is Holy Spirit. Second is proclamation and demonstration. The third is the the global and multi-ethnic scope of the kingdom of God. You see, a key theme in the book of Acts is how Jesus' kingdom transcends political and ethnic lines. I can't think of something more relevant to our cultural moment than this. In a world where there was but one Lord, Caesar, uh, the apostles boldly declare that Jesus is Lord. One day, every tribe and tongue and nation will gather around the throne of King Jesus in worship. And that end times reality is realized as the church transcends ethnic and racial boundaries. So, global multi-ethnic scope, proclamation and demonstration, the Holy Spirit finally, the church alive. The book of Acts is a paradigm for how the local church can and should operate. Let me say that again. The, the book of Acts is a paradigm for the way the church can and should operate as a spiritual family on mission with radical dependence on God living under the authority of King Jesus. The church is a living thing. It is an organism. It can't help but grow. It can't help but multiply. Because the book of Acts is Luke's sequel to his gospel, there are moments where Acts maps perfectly onto the book of Luke, that these big headline events in the book of Luke, there's a similar version of them in the book of Acts, and and we'll get into that as, as we get into the book to see how Luke equates the public ministry of Jesus with the public ministry of his people. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this verse. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples that their missionary journey will begin in Jerusalem and extend to the corners of the earth. And Luke uses Jesus' statement here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as a table of contents. In Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7, the action focuses on the church in Jerusalem. 
In Acts chapter 8 through Acts chapter 12, there is a focus on the church in Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 13 through 20 are Paul's missionaries' journeys to the ends of the earth, and chapters 21 through 28 are Paul's ministry in Rome, uh, where Paul is now in the heart of the empire. The first half of the book is all about the proclamation of Jesus as Messiah. The second half is how Jesus is proclaimed as Lord. The first half, a predominantly Jewish culture. The second half, a predominantly Greco-Roman culture. Acts follows key figures like Peter, Apollos, Stephen, and yes, Paul, as they take the gospel of King Jesus across the world. In a moment, I want to look at how Acts 1, 1 through 5 applies for us and says to us in this time and in this moment. But I want to address, before we get any further, two key questions that come to the book of Acts. And the first question is this, where are all the women? Where are all the women? Peter and Paul are men, and they are the main characters of this story. Nowhere in the text do we see explicit cases of women boldly proclaiming the gospel. There is no sermon recorded that was preached by a woman. Nowhere do we see women performing miracles. It's easy to read Acts and the whole New Testament to see women missing and to assume misogyny, to assume a more barbaric and outdated culture. Unless, unless you carefully notice how the authors of the New Testament are critiquing the culture in which it is written. Uh, Dr. Cynthia Long Westfall, who's a New Testament scholar, notes that Paul and other New Testament writers, including Luke, and the way even Paul does ministry in this book, he's quietly critiquing the way that Greco-Roman culture and Jewish culture treated women, how the New Testament is subtly but undeniably empowering men and women to serve as co-laborers together. One New Testament scholar says that the New Testament indicates that the gospel radically altered the position of women, elevating them to a partnership with men unparalleled in first century society. Wherever the gospel went, women were among the first, foremost, and most faithful, most faithful converts. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that men and women were gathered together. Men and women were gathered together when the Holy Spirit fell, which implies that women as well as men preached the gospel on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Priscilla, a woman, corrects a man, a male church leader, for his false teaching. In fact, as the gospel is preached in the book of Acts, many who respond to the message and become part of the fledgling church are women. One author also says, Luke is careful to place women at each stage in his narrative of the church's expansion in Jerusalem, in Samaria, uh, in, in, and in cities of the Roman world like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. Christian art from the first and second centuries depict women performing various ministerial tasks, administering the Lord's Supper, teaching, baptizing, caring for physical needs of the congregation, leading in public prayers, and later revisionists have tried to cover the traces of women's tracks, including in a first century painting where a woman who was painted leading communion, her face was painted to look like a man. 
But let me make this clear. Women are far from excluded in Acts. In fact, women are radically included. And what seems to us like offhand comments about women's involvement would have been enough to make a first century man set his hair on fire. And yet the call of the gospel is clear. Paul says in Galatians that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, that we are all one in Jesus Christ. Seeded into the book of Acts is a framework and groundwork for men and women to be partnered together in expanding the kingdom, just as they were called to do in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, our first parents, are given the sacred task of expanding God's reign and rule over all of creation and to bless all of creation. And in the kingdom of God, in the book of Acts, the Eden ideal is recognized and realized as men and women extend the authority of Jesus across the, across the world, as they reign and rule together through the authority of King Jesus for the blessing of the earth. So the first question is, where are all the women? The second question is, is, is this, is the book of Acts for today? Is what we see in the book of Acts, is it simply description telling us what was going on, or is it prescription telling us how things ought to be? The vast majority of scholarship on the book of Acts indicates that what we see in the book of Acts is to be taken, in the mind of its author, is to be taken as a picture of how the church ought to be today. Luke wouldn't have a category as he wrote the book of Acts that we would parse it apart for what's for today and what's not. Craig Keener is a New Testament scholar whose life's work is a 4,500 page, multi-volume commentary on the book of Acts, and he says that Luke's history suggests that the church should continue to carry on the mission of Jesus, including with signs and cross-cultural unity. He says that readers who try to like divide things into supernatural versus natural, uh, that they're engaging with the text in an anachronistic way, that they're distorting Luke's purpose. In fact, Craig Keener goes on to say that for Luke and the apostolic church, the gospel was, if anything, even more supernatural than the signs and wonders that followed it. Put simply, Keener says that Luke views the Spirit's activity as depicted in Acts as normative for the entire duration of the church's mission until Jesus' return. Our experience with the Holy Spirit is formed by those who abuse the Holy Spirit, or who chase after extremes or experiences, and yet we cannot ignore that the early church operated with an approach to the miraculous that we might call naturally supernatural. The apostles and the early church were comfortable with signs and wonders because they were part and parcel of living out Jesus' promise. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, even greater works, Jesus says, because I am going to be with the Father. So in Acts chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 5. Let's jump back into the text. Luke is continuing his work on the life and ministry of Jesus. And uh, the end of Luke chapter 24, which I preached on last week, and then this passage, link those two books together like a chain. Uh, Before Jesus is taken up in his ascension, Jesus teaches the disciples about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And before his public ministry, uh, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness with his father. And now before the church's public ministry, the church spends 40 days with Jesus. Jesus teaches them over meals and helps them see that he really is alive. He teaches them about the kingdom of God, about God's rule and reign extended to be on earth as it is in heaven. He encourages them to wait for the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, who will submerse them, immerse them. That's what baptize means, to submerse with power from on high. They will be plunged into it. But But notice the claim that Luke makes in chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. The operative word is began. It's almost like like Luke is saying that even though Jesus is ascending to be with the Father, that through the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling his church, that Jesus is still doing and still teaching. This is why St. John Chrysostom calls Acts a book that is a demonstration of resurrection. Acts tells us clearly that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is still moving, that Jesus is still healing, that Jesus is still preaching. Luke is saying that through the church, through the people of Jesus, through you, through me, Jesus is still doing and still teaching. I find myself asking so often, what in the world is God doing We are confronted nonstop with COVID-19, with systemic racism and oppression, with an alarming political divide in our country. And yet in the midst of all of that chaos, Luke says, Jesus is still moving. In those places where we feel stuck, Jesus is still doing In those places where we feel confused, Jesus is still teaching. One of the challenges I give myself over and over again in this season is the challenge I give to you, which is not to see a a bump back in our schedule or wearing masks inside this building simply as a limitation, but to see it as an opportunity, an invitation from Jesus to see what he wants to do in this new circumstance When we feel stuck as a church, when you feel stuck in your spiritual life, cut apart from the gathered space, when you feel stuck and confused in a relationship, uh, at work, in your finances, wherever that might be, when you feel stuck and confused, there's an invitation from Jesus to see that even in that, he is still moving and still doing, that Jesus in this book only began to do. And that for 2,000 years, Jesus has continued to do. And even in the experience that you find right now so discouraging and so frustrating, God is on the move. 
And so my invitation, my next step for you is really simple. If you want to pick up the book of Acts and start doing that and and engaging with it and reading through it, I think you'll find this series really fruitful. But even more than that, I want to invite you to a simple practice that when you feel stuck, you simply turn to Jesus and say, what are we doing? What is this? What are you up to that you would stop, that you would pause, that you would breathe, and you would ask Jesus, what are you doing? My friends, even in the most discouraging of circumstances, even in the most frustrating, Jesus is still on the move. And so I invite you to have the eyes that Paul calls us to have in Colossians, to to set our eyes and our minds not on earthly things, but to set our eyes and our minds where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, but who through his Holy Spirit is so present and active in your life today, even now. Let's celebrate that truth together. Amen.